Welcome to Night After Night, a podcast about eight seasons in a row. I'm Lisa Fernandes and... I am Chris Jerry Wardner. Hello. And we're reviewing the season two finale of Laverne Shirley, Sis and Crane. Directed by Ray Duvalli Jr. and written by Raymond Siller. I'm pretty sure Chris has some facts about them. Uh, indeed. So uh, Ray Duvalli I, I, is going to be coming up again uh, for a bit. So we'll we'll kind of pass on that for now. Uh, he was technical coordinator on this a uh, lot of episodes of this show as well as other sitcoms, and uh, directed a couple of other episodes. Actually, I think I want to say like three episodes this season. I have to double check, but yeah, yeah. He, he's he's got yeah. work that he's done on the show before. The more he'll do again. Now, uh, Raymond Siller is an interesting story. The author of this episode worked on Dick Cavett. And this was his only Laverne and Shirley writing credit. But uh, my, my theory is that he may have been in the writer's room as part of season two, uh, kind of expanding his writing staff, and ended up getting a gig on Johnny Carson. And not only did he get to write for Johnny Carson, he worked on, on the show as a writer for 545 episodes. So this is kind of the, it, I wouldn't say the humble beginnings. The humble beginnings probably was more of the Dick Cavett or pre-Dick Cavett days, but... Uh, but that was pretty cool. And and what's kind of nice is the kind of, again, very big, broad theatrical characters that show up in this episode. Definitely definitely shows that credit. And, uh, you know, again, very big and great zinger lines and things like that, yeah. you know, car- I think was probably carried over. So pretty cool. Way to go, Mr. Siller. Good for him. That's really awesome. And here's what the episode's about. When Charles Fister Crane, a Broadway magnate, happens to suffer a flat tire outside the pizza bowl just as the gang converges to celebrate Anna's birthday, he pays witness to them serenading their landlady. Having vowed to make the next person he meets a star, Crane sets his sights on Laverne Shirley, whom he offers to make the next big thing. The girls are taken under the wing of the star maker of the Midwest and groomed into being the singing duo of the Rosebuds. But after a performance at his mansion, Laverne soon learns Crane's interest is in only one of the girls. What do you think of this one? It's um, this is a lot of fun. There's 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 some cute stuff. Um, the music number at the end. I I love the music numbers in this show. I, they've really have grown on me. Um, you can see how they've inspired other shows that have come after because they they really lean into the comedic element while also trying to a certain. They're trying to put on a good show. You know, it's very vaudeville. So the outfits are great. The scene with Rosie is hysterical. Um. Yeah. And I and I just and Charles Fister Crane is I mean a it's a great Charles Foster Kane reference to Orson Welles' Citizen Kane, um, and I love his even almost kind of like a pastiche of a bit Orson especially like late sixties early seventies Orson. Um, there's almost bits of Bogdanovich I see in there as well, yeah. uh, and and clearly with like the disinfecting the phone is almost a little bit of a Howard Hughes uh, sort of yeah. sort of nod. So yeah, there's a lot of fun stuff. Um, and I, I love the Boo Boo Kitty is in this episode. Yes. And, um, and yeah, and I have to say the surprise party for Edna is is adorable. But um, yeah, especially the uh, I want to make sure just just because I know there's a lot of stuff that we will want to talk about, given that this there's some connections with the other merchandise for the show. But before yes. I forget the little plaque for um, for for Edna on the chair, she has her own chair. Yes. And Frank then saying, yeah, you got a beautiful seat when he's checking out her butt. And uh, my mom yeah. giggled and clapped at that, which I thought was hysterical. That was great. That was really cute. That's adorable. Um, so oh, anyway, it's it's really good. Yes. I love the little hats when they sing the birthday song. So yes. anyway. The whole thing is adorable. I mean, come on. I mean, uh, I loved uh, specifically from that scene. I love that Laverne and the boys are staying there. And the boys are trying to compliment her, but keep accidentally insulting Edna's age. But she just looks at them and goes, 
boys hadn't even begun to climb that hill. Yes. Lenny suggests she's over the hill, and Lenny bites his hand. That's perfect. Mm-hmm. That's Edna. There's so much great Edna sass in the beginning of this episode, and it's absolutely worth absolutely every single thing that happens throughout the episode, which is fun. This is a fun little episode. It's a fun little way to end the season. They probably should have aired this episode earlier in the run because mm. this episode was created to promote the Laverne Shirley Sing record album, which was released right around the Christmas season in uh, 1976. This aired in May of 1977, which was way, way, way after uh, we could have given the album much of a boost. Indeed. But yeah, this... The, the song to do Ron Ron, the cover of it is on the Laverne Shirley Sings album. And the story of the album itself is very interesting. I'm going to go over it right here. Uh, in 1976, during the summer gap between the filming of season one and season two, Penny and Cindy signed to do a record with the Atlantic Records label. Uh, MeTV credits promoter Pete Bennett with pitching the album to the head of Atlantic and subsequently arranging the deal with the actresses. Newspaper clippings, which resulted, literally list them as Laverne and Shirley, by the way. They're not mentioned as Cindy and Penny except anywhere except in parentheses. Oh my gosh. It's kind of like sad in a way that he signed the characters to a record deal. Uh, Bennett is mostly known as a record, uh, as a record, as a concert promoter. Uh, that's where he gained his fame. So uh, Paramount was not happy about this, by the way. Mm-mm. Paramount was not happy with this deal Bennett struck with Atlantic. They basically struck it without asking them beforehand if they could use the Laverne Shirley characters. And they threatened to sue at one point. Uh, but eventually they hammered out a deal without any lawsuits happening. And the deal was struck, and over those months, uh, the recording for the album began. Uh, the resulting album was recorded and produced and arranged by longtime industry vets Jimmy Haskell, who is a well known composer and arranger, specifically of uh, television themes, and violinist Sidney Sid Sharp. Haskell composed a lot of scores. Uh, if you look at his uh, IMDb, it's very interesting, the amount of different things he did, and did some pop songs as well. And uh, Sharp played at the Hollywood Bowl. He was a very well-known violinist. Uh, the, co- the album is mainly a cover album. It's got a lot of 60s and 50s hits on it, and there are exactly two original songs on the album, except for a piece where the girls uh, read excerpts from their yearbook. Fake salutations, which are actually from the uh, people who worked on the album in general. Uh, hmm. The two original songs are OG and Five Years On. Uh, it's not surprising Michael McKean did write one of these songs. Uh, there's been a lot of debate over which one he actually wrote. Uh, he said he didn't write OG, he wrote Five Years On in several interviews. Uh, the liner notes for the Collector's Choice version of the album that I have say he wrote Five Years On and not OG. So I'm going to go with that belief that he uh, wrote Five Years On and just wrote Five Years On. He also served the project's uh, musical musical coordinator. Uh, he actually gets mentioned in the more from our yearbook track. His salutation is, best wishes until Bear Mountain gets dressed, love Michael McKeon. And then Penny sighs in character as Laverne, what a cutie. Aww. Which is adorable. The album uh, was staffed entirely by members of the Wrecking Crew, whom Sharp had also previously worked with. They're a group of L.A. studio musicians, and they've worked with tons and tons and tons of people, 
people like the Beach Boys. Uh, they worked with Phil Spector and helped produce this Wall of Sound. They're on the Pet Sounds album. So a lot of talented wow. people backing up Kenny and Penny and Cindy on this album. Uh, unfortunately, their vocals are dialed down in favor of vocals of other women because uh, Penny, according to her, didn't take it seriously. She said, Cindy took it very seriously. I knew I couldn't sing. So, you know, I think just try everything. How often do you get asked to make a record? We can't sing. Let's do it. This is her directly from the Amy biography on the show. And apparently, Cindy did vocal training. And she does have a very lovely voice. You'll get to hear it in season six of Sing, Sing, Sing. And Penny also sings in that, and she sounds pretty darn good. Uh, Penny sings multiple other times uh, when Laverne tries to be a folk singer in season six. And we'll get there, too. Uh, to help the vocal stylings that the girls must produce, three singers were enlisted to uh, provide vocals. They were Diana Canova, then Marta, and believe it or not, Melissa Manchester. This is one year after the success of Midnight Blue. Wow. And she provided most of the vocals on this record. Uh, the girls' vocals are audible, but they are not turned up. So it's kind of like a wall of sound to try to make them sound better, apparently, according to Penny, at least. I'm quoting Penny on this whole thing when it comes to their vocals. Uh, they aren't the only um, stars on the record. Kenny Loggins was a huge fan of the show. He happened to be recording an album next door, and he had heard that they were recording, and he asked if he could participate. Uh, he got to play the tambourine on Doo Doo Ron Ron. He, he hmm. did also do some percussion. He can't, he's not credited on the album at all because of contractual reasons, but he's mentioned in the Collector's Choice version of the liner notes, so that's a fact. He participated in this album. Uh, Doo Doo Ron Ron was picked as the album's first single, the girls performed it during uh, this episode, and they also sung it live at the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade in 1976. Now, the Macy's Parade appearance was the first hint to Penny and Cindy that the show was getting big, because as they drove down the streets in this car, the crowd broke through the police cordon and tried to rush them. And they had no idea what was causing the fuss until they realized it was Whoa. them. Yeah. They had no idea what was, I mean, it was happening until, the, oh, God, they're trying to get to us. Wow. Unfortunately, that's, this, that's a yeah. turnaround and suddenly kabam, fame is at your doorstep moment. Yep. And that is why we had everything that happened backstage happen backstage because everybody went from like being obscure to being these like, huge stars with the number one, one show in the country within like a year and a half. And everybody, oh, you know, oh man. Sadly, to do Ron Ron didn't do anything as a single release because it was stymied by the appearance of Hardy Boys star Sean Cassidy's version of the same song only a month before this episode aired. This episode aired in April 5th of 1977, and Cassidy's version went to the number one in AM March of the same year. Hmm. So it was a very, very, very close thing, and they just didn't have the star power of Knockets. Off the top of the charts. Uh, but the album did chart a single, a cover of 16 Reasons, which Connie Francis made famous. Uh, it made it to number 65 in the Billboard Hot 100 on December 18th of 1976. Hmm. Uh, the album has since kind of, it hasn't reached the level of critical praise that the Lenny and Squid Tones album has. It's not much of a huge, huge collector's item because Spinal Top fans just snap up the Lenny and Squid Tones album because. 
Uh, Christopher Guest is on it as Nigel Tufnell. And that's his first building, building as Nigel Tufnell. Uh. So people would buy up that record like hotcakes because it's Spinal Tap history. But in the end, if you want to hear the album, it is streaming on Spotify. It is on YouTube in the full under official channel. And you can buy it on iTunes or Amazon. So it's completely free. It's one of the few things related to the show that you can legally purchase. Oh, God. And the most interesting thing about, like, Five Years On is that it sounds like a Carol King song to me. That's what it sounds like to me. I absolutely uh, recommend at least you guys listen to that because it's one of the most unusual things that Michael's ever written, in my little dumb opinion. And I think it's worth a listen. I mean, this is really interesting to see that, you know, this is then... At the end of the season, second season now, we're at this point yes. where the show is taking off like, you know, like a yeah. bullet, like a bolt of lightning going the other way. Yeah. And to the stars. And it's 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 a fascinating moment also because it's also a episode about them possibly making it big, only then to not make it big. So the fact that the yeah. the album is not as successful as they expect it to be when just yeah. like in the episode, the characters aren't as successful as they expect to be, as they dream they will be. Yeah. It's kind yeah. of uh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's an interesting parallel uh, between real life and what actually uh, occurs on the show. I find it fascinating that of all the things attached to the show, they did a lot of merchandise attached to the show. Of all the things they did, this didn't take off. And I don't know why this didn't take off. Because, I mean, even John Travolta uh, notched a hit when he was Barbarino. Mm. before uh, Grease happened for him. I mean, if you were in this, you were a person who was famous in the 70s, you had a pretty decent shot at having a number one hit for at least one week on the Billboard charts. Wow. It- I mean, David Sola, God, don't give up on us, baby. Uh, there was a lot of people who had uh, hits just because they were on TV. Mm. That's, that-, that, that happened in the 60s and that happened Something. And you figure probably that was just the ubiquitous enough, uh, the ubiquitous television, you know, uh, appliance in all of these American homes that, you know, it, it, it becomes your marketing. Yeah. 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 It's like the way the show uh, tried to create dance craze for Carmine far too late. They had two attempted Fonzie dance crazes on Happy Days. They didn't have to do the more. And and to think, to this day, we still remember Do the Mario more than we remember the Mork. Yes. Yeah, they didn't have Do the Mork. That didn't happen. That never happened. Amazingly, we never got Do the Mork. That was not a thing. Uh, but yeah, Do the Mario. Now that now that's stuck in my head. I have the Vine Sauce Vinny version stuck in my head. <laughs> Eat the Mario. You're welcome. I love you. <laughs> I love you too. Now it's going to be stuck in my head all day. <laughs> But yeah, back to the episode. I love Edna in this the beginning, like I addressed earlier. Everything about the gang just pulling her out and uh, showing how much they care about her. And putting on party hats and bringing her cake and giving her a chair. And mm-hmm. uh, writing a song. I think Michael composed the song. I'm almost 100% sure that this is his composition. Uh... And that song is what launches the girl's quasi-career, which is, of all things. Yep, yep, yep. Because it's very much friends just writing the song to for the tribute to their uh, close friends. 
So, yeah. It's it is. Yeah, see, it's not the kind of thing that would impress an impresario. Right, right, right. Um, that's right. And I did, you know what? I forgot to mark down the notes, but I did look up, uh, Severin Darden, who played, uh, Charles Fista Crane. Uh, he is, I believe the human villain of Battle for the Planet of the Apes from 1973. Um, cause uh, I, I, I saw, I've seen all the Planet of the Apes movies, but I haven't seen Battle for the Planet of the Apes in a uh-huh. long time. Uh, but he was mostly just a character actor. He's even in, <laughs> he's in Hopscotch. I love that movie. Um, Oh, cool. And when you look at his, his credits, I mean, this guy has played a lot of kind of similarly yes, hoity-toity characters. Mm, yes. Um, good Lord, this guy was in Vanishing Point. Must have been one of the sheriffs or something. Um, but yeah, so uh, Severin Darden. Yeah. So unfortunately, he doesn't come back as, as far as I know for a, uh, as far as I'm seeing here as any other characters in Laverne and Shirley, but did a good job as, as, as Citizen Crane. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. And I, I love the aspect of how, you know, Crane is, you know, he's 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 got so much ego that he's going to, you know, create a star. I'm the star maker, yes. you know, and yes. it's a and yet and yet still he looks at Lenny and Squiggy, you know, who actually are, you know, pretty decent as a doo yeah. band, a rock and roll, ba- you know, yeah. act. Um, you know, what is what's the line here? Uh, yeah, I couldn't even make you human, you know, and. Uh, <laughs> And, you know, it's a, and, and just, yeah, just such pomp, you know, and, and especially that yeah. line that always just made me cringe was, so I am going to mold you. How does that make you feel? And, uh, like, like old Brad. <laughs> <laughs> that response is perfect. You know, it's, yes, exactly. Yeah. And, and just, it's, it's, and I love the aspect when later it's revealed that he, what is it about the, he says, this, I'm trying to find the exact line. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. I have an in with the critics. I own them. And uh, Laverne's <laughs> come back. He's, oh, you dressed him up real nice. Um, <laughs> and yeah, but it, but when it comes down to it, when he goes, you know, it's because there's a. <sighs> I, I know, I've been, you know, during the last few episodes, I, my my language has definitely been a thing. But uh, he goes, "You're boffo, she's stinko," and uh, which I, you know, and then he later goes on to say, you will do as I say. And I, and my response <laughs> to that is just, nope, that's not happening, fucko. Like, <laughs> uh, I mean, there's even uh, the bit where he makes a kind of, not a, the kind of racially insensitive remark. And you could be another Eartha kit if we could have cinnamon and, and hand gestures at her about like, you know, colorizing her. And it's like, yeah, oh, yes, God, yes, the impl- God, implications of that one. Um, but yeah, it's it's a yeah. it's kind of cute that it all starts from a, a really innocent, really sweet. You know, they love they love they all love Edna. She's the auntie slash mom slash girlfriend, and um, yeah. you know, and that's that, I I often find that's always what connects with people though is when it's it's something genuine, it's something from the heart. You know, something you're not trying to you're not trying to be anything more than yourselves. Yeah, yeah. Ultimately, the lesson is that. Losing your best friend and being inauthentic is not worth fame. Yeah. And you got to agree with that in a lot of ways. Uh, I was going to mention that Squiggy uh, mentions that his sister gets around. We will meet Squiggy's sister eventually. Oh. It's going to take a bunch of seasons. Uh, It's unfortunate that, you know, the season that it's in, but we do get to meet his sister. Okay. Her name is Squendolin. Her name is Squendolin. (laughs) Which is kind of. (laughs) <laughs> kind of oh. amazing. 
Oh man! At some point, they forget his first name is Andrew. Like, why would it would it be Andrea? Like, that's just oh. now. For, I'm thinking. Of, I'm thinking that's Squendolin. Then is just going to be a secret boss in Dark Souls Four. I don't know. <laughs> shout, shout out to my dark, uh, my Dark Souls homies. Um, oh my gosh! Anyway. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> uh yeah but no that's i love they're like yeah it has a reputation yeah so does my sister and they and carmine's yeah. laugh about that is like whoa okay yeah. yeah i know like he has done something filthy with Squiggy's sister or, or the very least he's been witnessed to or has heard the stories about like yeah oh yeah. god yeah but lenny laughs at it too yeah yeah oh yeah i think though i think squiggy would probably murder him if he touched his sister oh i'm sure <laughs> yeah Throw him out of window or something. Versa. Probably vice versa. Yeah. As well. uh, oh, throw, did you just say throw him out of window? Yeah, I don't say that. Mm-hmm. Future canon is calling. Uh, uh, I love the line when the girls are meeting with with uh, Crane. Uh, Rembrandt doesn't paint by numbers because they're trying to, you know be impressed by the art it's like that's a real rembrandt oh the rembrandt Just yeah it's like oh it, it must yeah. be like over that must be 50 years old yeah yeah oh god yeah, yeah. and and oh god <laughs> poor poor rembrandt uh <laughs> for for him to be it's, it's it's a it's an unintentional diss on his on a 17th century painter uh i've actually seen rembrandts in person they're amazing um yeah me too yeah they're they're magnificent um but yeah, and yeah, there's there's so many little details though, like you know the the lines, the um, yeah, like as you pointed out, the the painting is like here's the drawing room. Oh, you draw too? Yeah, oh. that's a great line. And I love his silly robe in that scene too. That's so that is so yeah. Charles Foster Kane. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I love the performance. The girls before actually performed to do on together. Mm-hmm. That's a really great little moment. Uh, complete with the American flags and tap dancing. Yep, yep. Which is uh, very, somehow very much them in their own way and very much um, what would impress this kind of dude because he's a lonely kind of guy. Yep. So, that was nice. I liked uh, Rosie groveling to them because she wants this guy's attention, which mm-hmm. is interesting because she's only just started to get into like being a performing arts as of this Last couple episodes, she's taking lessons with Carmine, but she just literally grovels to them while they're getting yep. their dresses made, and which is a very unrosy thing to do, considering it takes a lot to get beyond that pride of hers. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting that, like, part of me wonders, you know, I don't know what the shooting order of these episode was, uh, episodes were, but it's like... Was there a thought, like, was Carol, like, adding this element that Rose's, you know, her marriage was starting to get on the rocks because, you know, Ogden was starting to figure out about the affairs and, you know, is it, is is the world, you know, is things not working out the way she wants them? And so she is getting a little more desperate. She needs more adventure. She's unhappy. And because that groveling show is the sign of desperation of, like, things are going horribly wrong in my life. Please, I need something. Um, but I love the, but I do love the blocking the way that she, she crawls back and forth on her knees like that. It's like, doo, 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 doo. it's please, Cheryl, Cheryl, please, please. You know? And then it's like, no, no, no. And that's a doo, 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 back over. And it's like, Oh, Laverne, Laverne, you gotta do this for me. Uh, it's Rose, Rose, you're slobbering all over my shoes. Gosh. Uh, yeah. Defazio, you're an ace. 
man, that whole thing was beautiful. Yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to point out, I, I didn't catch this till the second viewing, which I'm I'm pissed at myself for not catching it. The magnificent rosebuds. Really? Yeah. That's a that is on the nose. And and given also yeah, if yeah. you know the story of what reportedly the myth, the the old legend of what the rosebud was in reference to, oh boy. Yeah. Oh yeah. We can tell you what that is. It's very explicit, but yeah, we all know what that uh, rosebud is a reference to. Yep, yep. It's oh, uh, for for those for those that are still scratching their heads but would get it. It's a euphemism, and then just yes. just let that dink around in your head for a bit. Um, so speaking yes. of of uh, speaking of, of of things that are are not, um, the, I guess the the whole like the the showering of affection though that he praises them with you know magnificent you know as a modifier in their name um so there's a scene where they get the the delivery guy comes and brings them the chocolate and the flowers you know the Fenia yeah. de, de fazio you know Fazio. so the reason this guy is significant to point out um he uh he was also on the odd couple hey landlord and uh was also featured briefly in from size of stardom so you can see him in that episode and he has one more guest spot coming up later in the series the actor's name is Ogden Talbot, which I'm wondering huh. if that might be who Ogden, Rosie's husband, is named after. Possibly. I can see that because they did um, name um, certain characters after members of the uh, staff and the cast, both of the cast were. Yeah. Like, uh, that's interesting. I did not know that at all. That's fascinating. Yeah. Just want to make sure, cool. I, sure I got that one. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, and um, and also uh, Char- Charles Fister Creep. I I I love uh, I love that that nickname yeah. for him. Yeah, yeah, that was great. Just the way Laverne battles this dude back is fantabulous. Mm-hmm. It's just really good. She is just tired of his crap, and she is not going freaking take any more of it and she's not going to um allow her best friend to be bulldozed by him exactly understandably so yep oh god can you imagine if she knew at the time she was chewing him out what he had had done to boo boo kitty oh gosh everything that happens to poor boo boo kitty yeah oh but they put a brick around it's around boo boo kitty's neck how dare they yeah how dare they hurt that poor innocent stuffed cat Precious, wonderful little Mister, little Miss Boo Boo Kitty. Yes. Sorry, I keep keep saying Mister, but it's yes, yeah, it's a Miss. It's a female. It's a fem. It's a feminine yeah, kitty. Yeah, yeah. According yeah. to Shirley, she calls her her. Yep. So. Yep. But um. Don't hurt the baby is the lesson. But that's but then ultimately though, what it comes back to though is is as you were saying, you know, it's a, it's a sisterhood finale, and that's and that's what I loved about it. They they do a great job yes. with the with the dance number. It's really cute. The da- the dancing's great. And I love the the exit where they you know it's maybe we could pick up some guys on the bus. We don't have to take the bus. It's like what do you mean? It's like oh boy, yeah, the boys carry them out, which is so great. It's so wonderful. Uh, it's like the ultimate sisterhood and ultimate like. Uh, feeling of i would give up anything for you including fame including the future that a future that seems brighter than the future that we have now if i'm not mm-hmm. with you it's not worth it exactly just touching yeah no oh, that's gonna make season that's eight kind of hurt to be thinking about it in that context oh god see season eight's gonna break us for many many reasons mm. many many reasons mm. and there's 
stuff that happens before that, and just like I, I reveal nothing. But yeah. Yeah. Hey, 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 future me. Can you can you have can you put a little sugar with uh, just sugar? Can you put a little shark with googly eyes going from left to right across <laughs> the YouTube version of this episode? <laughs> just call it a little, little sharky. <laughs> but uh but yeah it was it was good yeah it's it's very solid writing throughout i really like the crane you know and as much as he's such a jerk i liked the crane character i would have loved to have seen him come back he's kind of like uh mr fish odor you know from bob's burgers yes bob's burgers yeah oh yeah he's just about the right level of eccentric exactly and uh grand and uh uh, condescending that matches him. Uh, yeah, yeah, I would like to see him come back too. Yeah. So, uh, what you gonna go with the ranking? Uh, this is about a eight point five for me. Hmm. Uh, really solid, cute opening. Some great songs. Uh, uh, the solid sisterhood and message about partnership and friendship overall. Uh, Crane is a really fun side character. So that's about where I'd rank it. It's not perfect, but it's good. Cool. Yeah, I'd I'd say about the Yeah, I would say about the same. I'd say about an eight. I'd say, yeah. It's good stuff. Good stuff is not perfect. That's our that's our final word on it. No. Anyway. So I guess, uh, yeah, I guess that wraps everything up for today. And if you would like to uh, get in touch with us on the social media, you can uh, get in touch with us. You could, you could, you could tweet, tweet, tweet at us, little birdie, at uh, Night F Night PC on Twitter. You can check us out on the Necronomicon. I mean, the face of all books. I mean, the Facebook <laughs> um, at Night After Night Podcast. And uh, if you're uh, one of those folks that's still hanging around, what's left of Tumblr? We're at Night After Night Pod.tumblr.com. <laughs> And if you would like to just contact us direct with any questions, comments, uh, wish lists, want to tell us how wrong we are about something, you can reach us at nightafternightpod at gmail.com. And uh, as well, if you would like to uh, give us a little incentive into our next, uh, kind of our next endeavors as we continue on this long journey through, that's how it was. we're about like... About like 30-something episodes or 40, 40 episodes yeah. in now. And so we've got another yeah. 130 to go. But if you would uh, like to incentivize us to get up to an even 200, you can uh, uh, drop us uh, drop us some duelers on uh, on Patreon, which would be greatly appreciated. We'll love you forever for it. Thank you very much, y'all. Yeah. And. And I think we're gonna. Yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, this is this is it for season two, right? Yeah. Wow. This concludes season two. Moving on to season three, which is when the show became the number one show in America. And began to rule the airwaves for a grand total of two seasons in a row. Wow. So, yeah. yeah. And uh, a bit of a trivia note. This is kind of a behind-the-scenes thing. So I have, I have a Google Doc that has all my notes when I write these episodes. I have my notes and recording and stuff like that. So when we have to make little cuts or whatever. And then we, we sometimes say, it's like, no, 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 keep that in. No, 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 keep that in. No, 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 I screwed that up. Cut it out, cut it out, cut it out. Anyway, yeah. but that aside, yeah, it's all my little lines. So like, okay, so like example, like... Uh, the juggling stooge and the episode of our two of our clowns are missing. Um, <laughs> this file is 85 pages long. Wow. So uh, if you're thinking to yourself about doing a podcast about a TV series, you're going to get intimate with this TV series. 
and yeah. uh, whatever yeah. TV series it yeah, is. Yeah. And uh, but it's a darn good time. And Lisa, as always, thank you so much for dragging me on this journey. You're so welcome, darling. Mm. All right. I guess uh, I guess that's it. I guess we'll see you guys next time for season three. Yes. Bye, y'all.